Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you a new episode of Monday Madness on April 25th, 2022. I tell you what, I was stoked for the warm weather that I was sure would be here after last Friday, which was warm, sunny, and just all-around beautiful day. I was sure Saturday's tea time would be phenomenal, but unfortunately, the weekend actually slapped us with cold wind and even hail last night. Only dip in dot size, so nothing terrible. But when life gives you lemons, you go up to Berthoud Pass to run a few laps on the old snowboard. But you didn't come here to listen to me boast about just what an incredible athlete I am. You came to hear all about the biggest news in the world of energy. Of course, we will start it out with commodity prices. Last week, WTI sat around $102.50 after opening up at nearly $110. This week's story is much more different as WTI opened just above 100, but's already fallen to $96.31. I think the hype of the Russian invasion of Ukraine has kind of worn off, and the EU has really failed to take a serious stance on the issue, resulting in a price ceiling of around $100. I do think that is still undervalued, but until much more of the Western world begins to struggle with energy prices, I don't think we'll see much change in that price. Natural gas had its time in the limelight last week as it reached almost $8. Then it fell to $7.50, then $7, and now we sit at about $6.65. I think the situation here is similar to that of WTI. A huge run-up, followed by a confused fall that really isn't quite sure of the new price floor. I truly believe that these are undervalued given the data we've covered between domestic inventories and ducks, but we likely won't see that correction for quite some time. Either way, it is hard to be upset given that commodity prices are great right now and stimulating activity within the industry. So suboptimal, but still good. Next up is the rig count. According to the most recent data, the US rig count is up two rigs to a total of 695, which is 257 more rigs than we had this time last year. Things are pretty quiet basin by basin, so we will just skip straight into the state breakdowns. North Dakota is leading the pack with two new rigs. Alaska found a way to incorporate one more rig, bringing its total to nine. The only state to have their count fall was Wyoming, who lost a single rig. This is one of those weeks that might as well be no change. A solid 682 rigs with little change in drilling activity. Certainly better than losing rigs. While most of us are familiar with offshore rigs, you may not be familiar with inland water rigs. These are rigs that operate in areas classified as marshes or just large bodies of water that are either brackish or just a little bit deeper into the territory of some states. They're not very common because usually water or aquatic environments are very sensitive to any accidents, but there was one running, but as of the most recent report, that total has fallen to zero. Nothing crazy, just something to note of since I cannot recall ever seeing an inland water rig. If you have, or even better, have a photo, please go ahead and send us a picture to podcast at rarepetro.com, and we may just be able to credit you and feature it on our LinkedIn page. Lastly, for our statistics is the inventory report, which is always better enjoyed on www.rarepetro.com. If you missed it, you missed out on a nice coffee cocktail recipe and some stellar data. Here's the bare bones to get you all caught up. If you remember last week's data, you would know that we saw an absolutely insane build of somewhere between 7 to 9 million barrels, but the most recent week's results are wildly different. The EIA was expecting a reasonably sized build, but instead reported an 8 million barrel drawdown. The API expected a similarly small build, 
but instead was witness to a 4.5 million barrel drawdown. While not grouped nearly as tight as we saw in previous weeks, it is good to see the EIA and API agree that it was indeed a drawdown. Still, it is strange to see another draw despite an additional 100,000 barrels per day of domestic production and another SPR release. In fact, the SPR is now at its lowest level since May of 2002. Let's hope that nobody chooses to wage war with the US because this would be prime time. We had better figure out our domestic energy policy sooner rather than later because this situation could become much worse very quickly. While this balances out last week's build, it certainly doesn't bode well for the future. We are seeing a flip-flop between builds and draws, but the magnitude of builds is growing, while the magnitude of draws remains about unchanged up until this week at least. We still remain lower than the five-year historical crude range, despite these growing builds. If anything, the trend line is close to leveling out. Gasoline inventories have, yet again, dropped. This time, it is a small 800,000 barrel drawdown, but a drawdown nonetheless. Should inventories not level out or build in the coming months, we may have a problem on our hands. As you might have predicted, the draw in gasoline inventories has increased the price of fuel. The national average for a gallon of regular gasoline increased by 4.6 cents on the week. Distillates took an absolute nosedive, reinforcing the fact that we are doing a poor job at addressing tightening commodity reserves. Propane, on the other hand, was fine and stuck to its historical range. But that is all we have for statistics. Now it is time to get into some news. The first story is a bit whimsical, but something I wanted to call attention to. Early this morning, a Hong Kong-registered ship that is leased by Russian oil company Novatech pulled into a Norwegian port just south of the capital. As you may have guessed, it was full of Russian oil. Greenpeace members donned their best petroleum-based boats and cold-weather gear to chain themselves to the ship's anchor. Greenpeace claims that receiving this cargo is wrong, as Norway would be financing Russia's warfare. Exxon subsidiary Esso was going to receive this shipment at a terminal until these hooligans showed up. Ann Foner, a spokeswoman for Esso, told a local newspaper that the oil had, in fact, been purchased prior to the invasion of Ukraine, and that Esso Norway, quote, does not have other contracts for the purchase of products from Russia, end quote. This is just how commodities work, my friends. The futures contracts take a little bit to work out and also take some additional time to deliver given the vast volume being moved and the amount of infrastructure available to deliver it. While several other activists were stopped by the police, I'm glad that a handful of folks representing Greenpeace were able to make a spectacle of themselves. If anything, they are delaying the development of necessary hydrocarbons that will go to servicing the European energy crisis, a near treasonous act in and of itself. If anything, this will only delay the development of additional resources, increasing the price, making energy security more inaccessible to those in poverty. While people's hearts are in the right place, I'm confident that you, yes, you, the one listening to this podcast, will be able to educate people about conventional energy. Your opposition is a bunch of nitwits that chain themselves to a boat delivering oil from a contract conceived two to three months ago. Folks just aren't aware of the intricacies, and it's our job to try and educate them on why we need hydrocarbons and just how useful they are. In more impactful news, we have secret talks between the US and EU officials as they try to come up with a method that stops Russian crude imports. Sources involved have claimed that they're considering a payment mechanism that holds back revenue, banning Russian oil and gas entirely, or a price cap. The biggest hurdle they face right now is a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't sort of situation. 
For the sake of the argument, let's say that the world bans Russian oil. Immediately, commodity prices would go up. I'm not sure by how much, but I don't think a $150 barrel would be off the table. Those who ignore the ban like China and India have so far would still buy Russian oil that is now more expensive than it was before, which still provides Russia with much-needed revenue. My problem with this whole situation lies in a basic rule that an evil landlord once shared with me. He who has the gold makes the rules. In this day and age, energy is the gold of modern society. Not the movement of energy as electricity, but the raw energetic power that hydrocarbons afford you. Russia has loads of this metaphoric gold. The rest of Europe does not. These solutions are a lot like going to your local farmer and saying, the community has agreed that your wheat is unethical. We will only buy at a price of $1 per bushel and will not budge on this until you comply and give us ethical wheat. What is the more realistic outcome of that situation? The farmer buckling under pressure, selling his wheat at a price that cuts even or loses him money, or the farmer waiting until the town gets hungry enough to buy his grain because they need it. We aren't talking about cars, furniture, or knickknacks here. We're talking about the hydrocarbons that allow society to thrive and move forward, or at the very least, function. The EU and the US really hold no power over Russia negotiations and what we end up paying for energy, and that is why Russia is succeeding with this invasion. Everybody needs the energy that they deliver. Russia has the gold and is very easily making the rules. Ladies and gentlemen, we have run out of time. Monday Madness hits things quick and hard. If you're looking for some long-form discussions, we do have a new segment called The Wacky World of Energy, releasing most Wednesdays during the month. We've got a few out so far, and they are starting to become long-form. Myself and Anthony have a whole lot of fun talking about the news and even throwing in some wild, crazy speculation, anything we feel that may be on the table. If you're not interested in that, you can always follow us on LinkedIn or go to www.rarepetro.com to find dozens of hours of content research that we release almost daily. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 